This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Hey, good morning. How is everyone in this morning? Good. So glad that you are here this morning. And, uh, you know, it was just a pleasure to uh, take a moment. I, I love to, to listen to Daniel sing and lead us in worship, but I was also uh, always trying to take a couple of moments where I just listen to you all sing. And I hope this morning that the words that uh, we talked about were more than just some uh, words that you repeated, uh, but some things you declared to God. Just want to go through some of what we said this morning that God is the king above all kings, that he, uh, there's no one greater in our heart, no one greater in our life. We sung of God's amazing grace that we longed for his glory, not our own. We sang this morning that there was nothing uh, more we wanted than him in our lives, that he's our living hope. Wonderful, wonderful things to declare. And I hope that's what happened in your heart this morning. That's what we want to happen in worship. Well, uh, my name is Joe Merrick. I am the lead pastor here at Journey, and uh, I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. Wanted to take just a, just a, just a, a, couple, a couple of moments this morning and encourage you to reach into the seat back in front of them. And there you're going to find a Connect card. Uh, you can take that Connect card. You can fill it out. Uh, if uh, you've been here many times before, we still want you to take that out, uh, put it in. There's info. You can uh, check a box in the upper right-hand corner that says everything's current for you. Um, but more than just uh, knowing that you're here, which we love to know that you're here, but uh, there are prayer requests you can list on the back. There are decisions you've made maybe you want to tell us about. You can put that on the back. Maybe you want to volunteer or, or do something else here at Journey. You want us to know about something. One of the best ways for you to communicate uh, to us as a church is in that Connect card. So we want to make sure uh, that you take a moment to do that. It's our desire to have one of those from every family here this morning. Um, with that, let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Lord God, we are so thankful for your presence here. We are so thankful for just the people around us, God, but even more than the people, we're thankful for your spirit that is here this morning. We're thankful for your spirit that it was here as we sang, as we declared these things to you, God. We reminded ourselves of all that you are, all that you will continue to be in our lives. God, my prayer right now is um, we can take these next 20, 30 minutes, Lord, and focus in on you. We can start to just eliminate some of the distractions from the week, all the things that we're thinking about, God, and we can focus in on you, and our hearts can be soft and ready to hear even the whispers that you want to say to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, uh, welcome to week number three, week number three of our month-long teaching series here. So just one more week on this topic called silence. 
And we know what silence is, right? Silence is that moment, that pause, when we expect to hear somebody say something, but nothing Silence happens all the time. It happens in kind of the normal course of conversations when we're talking about different topics and we're not sure what the next topic is going to be. Silence happens when difficult news comes and there's just, there's no words. Silence happens when uh, we have a question uh, for somebody and we think the answer is obvious. It's right there. They should be able to spit it right back to us, but they don't reciprocate in that way. And silence happens even in our relationship with God sometimes. The truth is it's been happening that way for many, many years throughout history. There's times of silence that get recorded in Scripture. We see that in the Psalms. That's kind of what we're working through this month as we talk about silence. We're talking about the Psalms and how we respond to that silence We have uh, books written by early church fathers, early church leaders that talk about the difficulty, the hardship, when we expect God to say something, when we're in a a difficult time, a difficult situation, and we're saying, God, I I, I need you, I need need this to happen, we don't hear anything. Uh, We have modern authors that talk about that same topic. We have our own life experience. My job this morning isn't to explain all of that away for you. My job this morning isn't to explain away maybe the pain that's so often associated with that silence. My job this morning is to remind us all, myself included, that times of silence does not mean that God has left us. He's abandoned us. So far in this series, we've talked about the distance sometimes we feel from God uh, in these moments of silence. We saw that specifically in Psalm 42 as the psalmist kind of described some of that We talked about timetables and how so many times we take our timetable, which is usually instant, right? In our world, in our society, we expect results and we expect them right now. And we place that on on the scriptures, on God. And when our timetable and God's timetable aren't matching up, we have that conflict. And so many times we feel like we're being left alone. That's, of course, not true, because God's timetable is different than ours, because His is perfect and ours is flawed. Romans chapter 8 tells us that there's no place in this world, no place in this universe that we can go, nowhere we can run, and we can get outside of God's love. He is always there with us, always loving us, wanting what's best for us. Today, I want to turn just a little bit from some of the uh, unsolicited silence that we experience in a relationship with God and talk a little bit this morning about a different kind of silence, a silence we experience because of issues in our own life, because of issues in our own heart. 
Uh, one of my favorite writers and uh, philosophers who, who passed away just a few years ago, his name was Dallas Willard, and he was reflecting on uh, his two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. And he kind of uh, tells this story about his granddaughter, Larissa, who was playing in the backyard. He and Grandma were watching Larissa, and she made that great childhood discovery of mud. Right? Or as she liked to just talk about it, warm chocolate milk. Isn't that the perfect description? So she's in the backyard and she's, you know, playing and, and not getting into the mud at first, but then she finds it. And next thing you know, grandma turns around and sees her beautiful grandchild covered head to toe in mud. And she runs over, she makes a, a big ordeal, she goes, she cleans her all up, they come back outside. Say, all right, Larissa, now we're, we're done with the mud. We don't need to do that anymore. Well, you can guess what happened, right? Maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute. She kept away from the mud. But the next thing you know, she was right there in it, covered all head to toe. And then her and grandma make eye contact. And she says... Maybe something that you can imagine your kids saying. I know I can imagine and have memories of my girls saying this to me when they're doing something they know they're not supposed to be doing. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Turn around. And she'd go on. She'd play a little bit more. And then, and then at some point they would make eye contact again. Grandma, don't look at me. Don't look at me at me. Larissa, she knew what she was doing. She wasn't supposed to be doing, and she had this, um, this innate desire to not be seen, to not be seen. Now, it's a simple story, an innocent story, but it's a pattern in our life that doesn't stay innocent. In other words, what happens in our life again and again is we sin and then we hide. We sin and then we hide. And perhaps we don't use Larissa's words exactly, but those thoughts, they, they come into our mind in some way where we say, God, don't look at me. Don't, don't look at me here in this moment. I, I know what I'm doing, what I'm thinking about, what I, I'm not supposed to be here doing this, but just don't look at me right now. Author John Ortberg says that don't look at me is perhaps our most common prayer. Our most common prayer. And then he adds the following scenarios. Imagine a businessman who checks into a motel room. The motel has a policy that says this, the name of the movie that you rent will not appear on your statement. As he grabs the remote, just a little prayer. Don't look at me, God. Just this once. Don't look at me. 
Or maybe uh, there's a student who has been cramming for this test. She's studied and studied. They've studied again and again. They have all this information in their brain, but it's not coming out when it's supposed to. It's not coming out uh, at the test time. So they cheat. Don't look at me, God. I'll do better next time. Don't look at me this time. Or maybe a, a wife that goes to coffee with a friend and says something kind of mildly funny and sarcastic about her husband, and uh, uh, there's a little tinge of sympathy from across the table. 90 minutes later, their husband's fully roasted, every secret, every um, uh, fault kind of spilled out. Don't look at me, God. I didn't mean to. We sin and we hide. We've been doing it since the very beginning. The, The first story in the Bible that describes sin is precisely that. They sin and they hide. We sin and we hide. And sometimes we get so good at the hiding. Sometimes we get so good at the hiding, that the silence we experience between us and God is because we are hiding from Him. Psalm that we're going to read today, as we said, the, the Psalms is one of the place that we, places we see in Scripture where the silence between God and us, gets addressed. The psalm that we're going to read today is Psalm 32. We're going to say mostly in the beginning of it this morning, I want to start with just the first four verses. First four verses of Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Then we get verses 3 and 4. This is a psalm of David. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned All day long, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength, it evaporated like water in the summer heat. Now, the specific scenario uh, that David is talking about doesn't get um, mentioned or named here, but it doesn't take much to imagine. Scholars certainly point us to the time when David had an affair with Bathsheba. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11. When David should have been out to war with his soldiers, he had grown tired of going to war. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't go with them, and he sees this beautiful woman. He has an affair with her later they find out that she is pregnant. 
David tries several different ways to kind of cover it up so nobody will know. They keep falling through his best plans. And so finally he takes Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and has him put on the front lines at the war, at the next battle. Specific instructions that he's to be in the very front where the fighting is the heaviest. And he dies. He's killed. And David thinks it's over. He's gotten away with it. Nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows what's going on. But God God knew. And David's soul was troubled and heavy. We see that in verse 3 and 4 from our psalm today. Listen just once more to it. When I refused to confess my sin, when I didn't tell God about what was going on, when I tried to hide it, when I did all of this stuff and just made it worse, my body, it wasted away. I had no peace. I groaned all day long, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Just think about that for a moment. This is David, the king of Israel. If anybody's going to live in luxury and with ease, it's him. He had anything he wanted, the snap of a finger. He's this big, uh, or he's this strong man, the greatest king of Israel, the man who took down the giant Goliath, who fought lions and bears in his youth, and his strength is gone, his courage is gone. Shriveled up, it says, in the summer heat, like a raisin, because he had an issue in his heart. And rather than confess it and bring it before God the way he's supposed to, he tries to hide it away. He tries to cover it up. Tries to hold on to it. And it becomes just this incredible burden he carries day after day after day. And it causes him to write words like these. Words of a troubled, troubled man. And then in verse 5, David declares for himself and for us that if we confess our sins, God will forgive. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is gone. Read the story of David's confession in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, the the story goes like this. The prophet Nathan in this period was sent to, to David to his throne room. Not a place you want to be sent if you're the prophet. But he's got the story he wants to tell David. And so he goes into the throne room and he begins to tell David this story. He says this. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Not up on your screen this morning, but 
just for your reference. It says there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. And the rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb. He raised that lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate, drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But rather than than take uh, one of his own animals and kill it from his own flock and herd, of which he had so many, he took the poor man's one sheep, one lamb, and he killed it, and he prepared it for his guest. So he Uh, The prophet Nathan tells David this story, and David is instantly outraged. He's furious. He wants to know the man's name so he can bring justice. The prophet Nathan looked at David and said, you are the man. You are this man. And all of a sudden, in that moment, all that David thought had been hidden away, all that he thought he had gotten away with, came to light. Gets revealed. And so David learns a lesson that we all need to learn. And that is that nothing escapes God's eye. Nothing escapes escapes God's eye. He sees it all. He sees it all. No matter how well we try and hide it away, no matter how much we think we got away with, I mean, David, for all intents and purposes, nobody else knew he, what had happened. He got away with it. But his heart was heavy and troubled. He was tormented. Because God knew when sin gets exposed, David confesses what he has done. And then we see the shock. We hear it in his uh, words of what happens next. And you forgave me. You forgave me, God, all my guilt, all of this stuff that I've been carrying for so long. It's been dragging me through uh, these last years. It's all gone. This, all this burden that I never thought I could get rid of, it's gone. Just like John records in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, He, Jesus, is faithful. He's faithful when we're not faithful, and He is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our wickedness. Just like in John's gospel, when we confess to God all that we've been trying to hide away, rather than Hide it away when we bring it forth to God. He forgives us. And David feels this incredible freedom. 
that he hasn't felt in so long because he's confessed. Hear this. When we are properly walking with God, we don't deny our sin. We don't hide our sin. That's not the proper response to it. We confess it. We confess it and we ask for forgiveness. David doesn't just stop there. You can continue to read this in the rest of Psalm 32. It's a fantastic psalm, and I encourage you to do that this week. He adds in verse 6 and 7, if you confess your sins, God will protect you. He says in verses 8 and 9 uh, that God will teach you to follow him closer when you confess your sins. Finally, David says, God will deliver you from your sorrow. Just like he did me, God will deliver you from your sorrows and teach you to rejoice. Verses 10 and 11. Today, we saw the great, strong, the, the, the great king, David, devastated. Devastated by sin, he refused to confess. Sin he tried to hide away. And I can't help but think that this psalm is in the Bible, that this story of David and Bathsheba is in the Bible so that we can learn a lesson that David learned the hard way. That God sees everything. And we can't hide things from him. We can't hide things from him. The proper response to sin in our life isn't to cover it up isn't to uh, pretend it didn't happen. It isn't to justify our behavior by saying, well, you know, so-and-so, they're way worse than me. Proper response is to repent. In a book called The Barbarian Way, the author Erwin McManus tells a story about his son that I want to just close with today. It goes like this. This is the author writing. My son Aaron was five or six when he began asking me, what does God's voice sound like? I didn't have an answer. A few years later, Aaron went off to his first junior high camp. And in the middle of the week, I went up to see him. Aaron, I learned, had started a fight with another kid, but had been held back by his friends. He was unrepentant. He wanted to leave camp. He pulled all his stuff together. He shoved it in the car. I asked him for one last talk. One last talk before we drove away. And so we went out into the middle of the woods and we sat on these two big rocks. Aaron, I asked, is there any voice inside of you telling you what you should do? Yes, he nodded. What's that voice saying? That I should stay? That I should work it out? 
Can you identify that voice? Yes, he said immediately. It's God. Then the author says, it was the moment I'd waited for. Aaron, do you realize what just happened? What just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else that happened. God spoke to you, and you were able to recognize it. I'll never forget, the author says, Aaron's dug-in response. Well, I'm still not going to do what God said. He goes on to say, I explained, that's your choice, but this is what will happen. If you reject the voice of God coming from deep within you and you choose to disobey his guidance, your heart will become hard. Your ears dull. And if you continue on this path, there will be a day, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not next year, but there will be a day you no longer hear God's voice. There will be a day you deny God ever even spoke to you in this moment. But, If you treasure God's voice, if you hold on to it, if you listen to it, however it comes, through scriptures, through somebody else, through uh, your conscience, and you respond with obedience, then your heart becomes soft. It keeps becoming softer and softer until you begin to hear even the slightest whispers of God. Church, my job as your pastor at its most basic level, when we come down to the very bottom level of what I am here to help all of us do, it's to hear God's voice, to identify it, and to respond appropriately. I wouldn't be doing my job today if I didn't ask I didn't ask you not to let this just be another day where you walked away. You walked away and said, oh, that was, that was nice. That was, uh, that was a good talk. That was uh, some good worship. And you denied an opportunity for God to just speak to your heart. You kind of pushed away those whispers deep within you. So today, my plea for action for you is to take a moment. Take a moment here, now, to listen for God's voice. To listen for His voice, even the smallest tingling, listen for it and respond. Listen for it and repent. Listen for it and take some step of faith. Because if you don't, you might not hear the next whisper. Let me pray for you this morning. And God, 
today in this psalm, in this time, one of the lessons you teach us is that when we come to a period of silence, and it always isn't this way, but when we come to a period of silence, one of the things we should always ask, is there something in me? Is there some part of my life that I am trying to hide away from you? Is there some piece of my heart that I've been uh, hiding from you, but I'm keeping away from you, God? And if there is, I want to repent. Some of you, as you hear me say that, you immediately can identify what that is. Shoots right into your heart, and you try and push it away because it feels painful. That's precisely what David did. It turned on his heart and it became heavy and heavier and heavier. It weighed him down. His strength shriveled up. His courage shriveled up. Don't let that happen to you. Not every moment of silence that we experience from God comes from something that's unrepentant in our heart and our life. We've seen other moments of silence in the series that had nothing to do with that, but God, there are times. There are times when the silence we feel is a silence we put there. Because we're not responding appropriately to your call on our heart and our life that there's sin we're trying to hide away from others, from ourselves, from you. God, in the silence of this moment, bring that forth in our heart and our life and let us see it and confess it and give it to you. Because just like David says, just like John says, you're the one who will forgive. We trust in that today. In your wonderful, holy name, we pray. Amen.